Let's go. The book of Acts, we are in chapter 16. Uh, I climbed into this text this afternoon. I thought I'm going to go on to verse 40, from verse 16 to 40. And um, I was halfway through and I'm like, geez, man, I'm going to talk for two hours. I'm going to have to cut this thing. So I split it into two parts. Um, I've entitled it, Those Chains. And I want you to pay attention to chains, whether they are physical chains or spiritual chains, as we, as we read this text. Um, and just to bring everybody up to date as to where we are, I uh, just want to bring up the map there quickly. We are, we've got four guys. Well, initially, we've, we've got um, Paul and Silas. They leave Antioch. They are traveling. They get to Asia. And over there, um, Paul and, and Silas, they get muzzled. Um, um, God doesn't want them to preach in Asia. They want to go into Bithynia. God blocks them. They get to Troas. And in Troas, um, it's the end of the line, basically dead end. But Paul receives a vision in his dream of a man calling him into Macedonia. All right. But also at Troas, which is, which is there at Troas, there's another guy that comes into their party. Uh, by the way, um, Paul also picked up over here, he picked up another young man, teenager, Timothy. So they're three guys traveling along through Asia, no preaching, get to Troas. There they pick up another guy, and his name is Luke. The guy who wrote the book of Luke, the guy who wrote the book of Acts, is now with them on this journey. Four guys, and <clears throat> they are called over to Macedonia. So they climb on a ship, they travel over there, they get to a town called Philippi. They are looking for this man that's calling them. Or maybe not the man, but they're looking for the reason why God called them to this place. Um, they, they're going to Philippi, which is the leading city of that region, of that province. And as we said last week, um, the reason why it was called Philippi is because the guy who sort of decorated the city and rebuilt it, his name was Philip, and he was the father of Alexander the Great. And so they named that city after him. But now Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they're in this town. Uh, we don't know where they stay. They maybe stay at an Airbnb or something, <clears throat> little side hotel or whatever. And they're looking for a synagogue. There's no synagogue in this town. And sometimes these towns, um, you know, they, they, they're run by Roman guys. It's a Roman colony. They, they maybe don't allow that. So it doesn't seem like there's a synagogue in this town. The Jewish um, influence hasn't grown to the extent where they would have the influence to have a synagogue. But if towns like these, if they didn't have a synagogue and the Jews who were there, they would then have a little prayer place or a place of prayer outside of town, usually close to a, a large mass of water for ceremonial washings like the Jews would have. And so just outside of this town, close to the river, there's a place of prayer. And Paul and them go down to the place of prayer and they meet a bunch of women there. And they start talking to them about Christ. And one of the women listens. And her name was? Lydia, yes. And Lydia came from Thyatira in the province of Lydia. So it's potentially where she got her name from. And she's wealthy because she's a dealer in purple cloth. Okay? And so she's a businesswoman. And she obviously has a massive house, which is uncommon for these guys. Only the wealthy would have... Well, it's probably still the same today, isn't it, right? Only the, the guys with the big homes. I met people last night that's got eight rooms in their house. Crying in a bucket. That's huge, eh? For this place. 
No, they got like 13 kids, so I understand why they got such a big house. Um, anyways, so she says, she, she gets baptized, and her whole household gets baptized. And I assume through that that she didn't have a husband, um, and I think that was the servants in the house that got baptized. Any case, she says, hey guys, why don't you come stay by me? And I think that's incredible. That's tithing. That's incredible tithing. When Paul talks about the church taking care of his needs, that's the type of stuff we're talking about. The, the, and, and when Paul says those who preach the gospel should earn their living from the gospel, that's what he's talking about. He just taught to the good news of Jesus Christ. And she said, hey, I can take care of you guys. Leave the Airbnb, pop in by my house, I'll take care of you. And I think she did that because then she could get some more teaching from these guys. So they are now living with her in her house in Philippi. That's where we are at. Everybody with me? We know at least four guys, preachers of the gospel, in Philippi, living in this woman's house. New converts. All right. That's where we uh, close off from last week. A few questions um, as we go into this. How sure are you that no demons have influence on you? How sure are you that some of the decisions that you make and some of the things that prompt you in one direction or the other does not come from evil spiritual sources? Um, sometimes I think we put a lot of trust in our own thinking. We think that we've got pure, straightforward, neutral thinking. It's not necessarily the case. Secondly, what is Satan's primary objective in the book of Acts? Who would like to give an answer to that? So far in this study... What's Satan's primary objective? What does he want to achieve? He wants to oppose the spread of the gospel. And I think it's exactly still the same today. I think he's using different types of methods and potentially some of the same ones. But he doesn't want the message of the cross to leave this building. Essentially, that's what he wants. And maybe we can sit and think about, well, how does he do that? And one of the things that, I, that you'll see come up maybe is, is I think in our situation, he uses comfort. But we'll talk about that maybe at another time. Thirdly, <clears throat> can we trust the opinion of the majority? When you look at a society, when everybody feels that's the right thing, can we trust it? Is the majority always right? And this is such a dangerous thing. I mean, I just think politically, because we live in a democracy. And it makes you wonder, is what everybody wants really the best thing? For everybody. We'll go on about that. What do you usually do when you're going through a difficult time? And the reason why I raise that question is like, what's generally your response when you go through a trial? Crying, running to mom, dad, becoming numb, going to pain pills, alcohol. Um, what do you do? Generally, what's your first response? Despair, depression, anger, questioning God. What's yours? Lastly, what does the spiritual world think of you? And what I mean by that is, um, look, I, I'm really not going to debate tonight whether there are demons in the world, because they are. The Bible says so. And so they are here. It's a fact. It's a reality. If we could take off our human glasses, put on some spiritual glasses, how do you think the spiritual world sees you? Are you a threat or a friend? Okay, with that in mind, let's move into the text. And I, I'm just going to be, you know, sometimes in Acts, like I've said before, you get to a text and you're like, how am I going to deal with this? It looks so boring. 
you know. Tonight, we don't have one of the boring ones. We've got a really cool story. I love it. Okay, verse 16. Now, remember, where are they living in Lydia's house? Four guys, all right? That's the context. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, so what does that tell you immediately? They moved back and forth from her house to the same place where they met Lydia to go talk further to people. So, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. So, <clears throat> she's a, some translation says that she's a damsel. Uh, she's possessed by a demon. She is soothsaying, some translation would say. She is giving divine information. We have guys doing the same thing today. Um, I, th I think uh, there's a few places in Corvallis where you can go and have your palm read, read or whatever. And some of it is fortune telling, future telling. So, and sometimes these guys know information about you that um, you can't believe they know because they don't know you. But the truth is that there is a spiritual realm and the spiritual realm knows stuff that the average human doesn't know. That's the only way that you can explain this. This is exactly what's happening here. This woman is possessed by a spirit. And that spirit, and remember, humans come and go, the spirits stay. Okay? These guys, I've said it before, they've been on the planet for thousands of years. They know how to handle humans. They know our parents. Right? And our parents' parents, they've been around. So obviously they are privy to information that we would think they would not be, have information about. And so they mess with people's minds, and I think Satan uses this to get people away, away from God. Now, she made lots of money for her owners, right? Because when people want some news about their future, oh, they would go to people like this. I mean, probably some of us here have been tempted to, like, know something about the future. What's going to happen tomorrow? What are the lotto numbers that I can play? To make some bucks. You can imagine in a pagan world like this. They, she made lots of money. And she was somebody's slave. Now what I find intriguing. Yeah, I don't know if you pick it up. She's possessed by an evil spirit. Not a godly spirit. Can we agree on that? Because Paul drives her out the spirit. But what does she preach? She preaches the truth. That I find interesting. And her message is so true and powerful She's essentially preaching the gospel, right? You guys, hey, you want to know how to be saved? Listen to these guys. That's essentially what she's saying. And I find that interesting because it seems like the spiritual world recognized what the physical world didn't. The people didn't know this, but the spiritual world did. I'm thinking about... Um, the seven sons of Sceva went to drive out that demon, and the demon said, Paul, I know, and, but 
And, and Jesus, I know, but uh, who are you? I don't know you. That's why I asked the question, what does the spiritual world think about you? Because the spiritual world has an opinion about you as an individual. It has an opinion about me, Michiel. And I wonder if the spiritual world sees me as a true threat or not. In this instance, I think the spiritual world immediately recognized there's something different in our town. There's people down by the river that were converted. Something's happening in our town. And this spirit attached itself to um, this mission of dismantling whatever the apostles were doing. Now, the text says what I found interesting. It, it uses the word annoyed. And I, I was interesting in that, interested in that word. Like, was, 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 was Paul angered? Irritated? Um, so I read up all the different ways that you could translate that word. And to be honest with you, annoyed is the best translation. She was irritating him. Um, I wonder why he would be upset if what she's saying is true. Why would you be annoyed with that? Wouldn't you say, keep on preaching. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead of us instead of behind us? Tell people as you go who we are. Since you know who we are. Maybe it was annoying that she didn't leave, him al leave them alone. Because that's what it seems like. She just keeps on going. Maybe she had an annoying voice. Like, could, could the demon not just give her a different voice? Maybe that was it. Uh, but in my personal estimation, the demon, or this lady, whatever you want to say, was acting as if Paul and his companions were on the same team as her. And they weren't on the same team. This demon was saying things that sounded great, that was true, that sounded right, but she wasn't aligned with the gospel. And by her being associated with the apostles, it could blur the lines between the work of a demon and the work of the Holy Spirit. And they weren't on the same page. And Paul wanted to make that distinction very, very clear. The thought that came to my mind is that maybe the demon was acting this way for self-preservation. Well, if I make as if I'm part of them, I won't be driven out. I don't know if that was the case. I don't know how these guys operate. But I think the reason why Paul said, Let's, let, let's be gone with you. Because people in this town know that you're a soothsayer. They know that. And if you walk around and you sort of proclaim the same message as us, but you don't live it, then we don't want you associated with us. And he drove out the demon. So a few thoughts. When you walk into a room... The demons know how your spiritual condition will impact their work. That's what we clearly see here. Demons will say the right things, but be in direct opposition to God. Because remember, their job is what? Deception. And they will do whatever they can to deceive. To make you think, make you believe. So she, listen to this carefully, she acknowledges Jesus. Well, she doesn't use his name, but she knows there's something unique here. The Spirit tells her, hey, these people preach in the name of Jesus, and when you hear the name of Jesus, there's problems. I mean, you can just go through the book of the, 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 the Gospels, and you will see how the demons shudder at the name of Jesus, right? So they know when the name of Jesus is here, we've got problems. When the Spirit of Jesus is present, we've got problems. So she acknowledges Jesus, okay, but in the same breath, 
through her actions, she does the abominable. She predicts the future. She's guided by the Spirit. Don't think, when a person says the right things, they actually stand for the right things. Don't listen to what people say. Look at what they do. Your deeds will betray your convictions or support your convictions. So deeds are extremely important. She might be saying one thing, but she's doing something else. And that reveals the evil spirit in her. So what happens further? Let's read further. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, <clears throat> the owners, they're interesting because they are, listen carefully, they are willing to work with the demon for money. Just think about it. They are friends with the demon for money. Do you think that still happens today? <laughs> of course. People do anything for money. That's why we talk about dancing with the devil, right? So they are working with this demon for money. They probably don't know it's a demon, but it, it works. So why is this such a big deal? Why are they so upset that she can no longer perform her duties? Um, well, there's the money, right? And I think that it's not just about the money. I think the spiritual realm is upset. Because she's a huge force of deception in that town. She's a stronghold. She's a producer of lies uh, in that town. Um, the owners weren't concerned with truth. They were concerned just with the money. And generally, that's just how it is in our world. Generally, people are more concerned about money than about truth. Now, what I find interesting is, it's the, the previous verses when it talks about they were brought, taken to the marketplace to face the authorities. I don't know what your translation says, but um, the actual wording there is to the rulers. To the rulers. And what I found interesting there is, I went to just look at this text again. Ephesians chapter 6, I think I've got it up for you. Yeah. Put on the, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. When Paul says this, he literally physically experiences this. Right? He says our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark 
world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he uses exactly the same Greek word there, archai, in both instances. His war in, in Philippi, his battle was against the guys, the rulers, that these um, this slave, the slave masters brought him to. So every time Paul faces opposition, he usually ends as the underdog standing against the rulers. Quick question. Do you think the spiritual forces of evil were running Philippi? Of course. They were running the place. Philippi was a Roman colony with worship towards Roman gods. In actual fact, Python was a very powerful Greek god adopted by the Romans. And the Greek word for divination that we read earlier on when it spoke about that she had a spirit of divination, that Greek word there is Python, same god. So perhaps this whole deal was potentially just a spiritual trap. Paul talks about the devil's schemes. We just see a woman walking behind Paul, throwing words out, but Satan has a plan. There's a scheme here, the devil's scheme. And what's, what's the goal? To keep the apostles from continuing on this mission. People have already been converted by the river. Now they are on the river. Every time they go back and forth from the river, there's a demon right there with them. He's trying to block them. He doesn't want them to continue with us. Listen, when you start making disciples, the spiritual realm will rebel against you. It will do everything to keep you from doing it. Everything. And what I find incredible here is not, they are taken, so, so all Paul does is he says, get out of her, man. Just think about it. Just get out of it. It's like, he's not like, declaring jihad on the town. He's not like saying, okay, I've got a nuclear warhead here. I'm going to blow up this place. What do they do? They drag him. They drag him to the rulers. And what do you see next? Suddenly there's a whole crowd. Why would people be so sensitive? I'm going to blow up the place. I just help this little girl, man. There's something spiritual going on. When you see people blow up things out of proportion, you must know there's a huge spiritual war going on. And everything is not as it seems. There's something deeper. Within a few hours, the rulers and the crowd of the city had been convinced that Paul and Silas was a huge problem. A huge problem. I mean, they came into town... They didn't even preach in town. The text doesn't tell us they went into the marketplace and stood up and preached a bunch of stuff. Where did they go? Outside town. So they'd go from Lydia's house to the place of prayer. And there they would talk quietly with the people who gathered there. How is it possible that they could get in so much trouble so quickly? There's a spiritual battle going on. And this whole thing, in front of the rulers, in front of the crowd, it was all guided by what? A lie. A lie. You know what's the saddest part of it all? The whole crowd believes it. Right? Through hatred and through the love of money, they end up facing this whole crowd and the rulers. So, you know, I was thinking about this. 
We shouldn't be surprised when we see protests. We see it every day. Not every day, but you know there's protests going on. I hear there was protests this week in Washington. People were going crazy in, uh, there at the White House and doing really disgusting things on the fences and in, in protest for uh, Palestine. A protest. That's what these guys are doing. A protest is not always led by the Spirit, but often led by demons. This is why I asked the question about democracy, because here the whole town basically believes Paul and them are to blame, like seemingly for all the problems in their lives. Do you see how easy it is for the spiritual realm to sweep up a whole crowd in opposition to the truth, in opposition to life, in opposition to God's will? So easy. Satan's got this, man. He's, I mean, we think the protests and the going crazy in the cities and stuff is like, it's like bad. Satan's like, man, I've been doing this for a few thousand years. I did it with the apostles. Okay, I'll continue doing it. It's what they do. The majority isn't always right. We see it here. They're definitely wrong. All right. And then, so they, 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 they don't get a fair trial. Do you see that? And we're going to see that further next week. Um, they, they don't get a fair trial run by a judge. This was mob justice influencing the rulers. And most people in the crowd didn't even know what they were upset about. Think about it. Most people in that crowd, they were just swept up. It's, just, it's so interesting when, when you get these commentators, you know, they go, they go into these crowds when they have huge protests. Here in America as well. It's like, why are you so really upset with this guy? And it's like, ah, it's just I don't like him. You know, they can't really give a reason why they're really there. But he must be wrong, this guy, that's going to speak on campus or whatever the case may be. I think it's the same thing here. You go, you'd walk into Philippi and give an interview quickly. Okay, so what's, what's wrong with Paul's theology? It's like, I don't know. I just don't like him. Look at the way he looks. Whatever. So there's a spiritual thing going on underneath it all. Okay. Paul and Silas <coughs> are stripped and they are beaten severely. Under Jewish law, how many times were you beaten? Who remembers? 40 minus 1, 39 times, 49, 39 lashes. Now, these guys weren't Jews. They were Romans. And so probably they received more than that. Not sure. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, I think it is, he, or 2 Corinthians, he, um, he actually says that he's been beaten more than anybody else. So it seems like he probably had more than 40. And so what we see here is a violent protest. They are violent. I'm willing to make a bold claim. When you see any type of protest with violence, it's driven by demons. I'm willing to put my life on that. Because think about it. Have any of you ever been upset about anything? Like what a bank does or what the government does? Or, okay. How many of you have, have decided, you know what, I'm going to book a plane to Washington, D.C. I'm taking sticks and stones with me. I'm going to beat up the gate of the White House. Who's been so really upset that you wanted to kill somebody? That you're going to go and protest now, and you're going to dress black with pepper spray and stuff and just spray random people in the head. Nobody? I was hoping there was a demon-possessed person here. Do you know why that's not the first thing that comes up in your mind? Because you are guided by the Holy Spirit. 
You believe in Christ. You don't believe in resolving things this way. Beating people up, dragging them because you're so upset. When you see this happening, it's not of God. It's underlying demons. Waging a war that we don't even fully understand. <coughs> Satan is at work. <clears throat> now, there's an interesting dichotomy for me here. Because what is Paul's crime? As I said earlier, what's his crime? He, he just, he unchained a woman. That's what he did. She was bound by the power of a demon. And he unchains her. He takes the chains off. May you be free. But that one in Satan's kingdom sent shockwaves through the spiritual realm. In a way, Paul removed the chains potentially in two places, two ways. Number one, he spiritually set her free from a demon. So he made somebody's life better. And secondly, the text doesn't tell us that, but maybe she was put in a totally different relationship with her master's. And maybe they even kicked her out because she was worthless to them. And so in one way, in one action, he released her from two chains in her life, spiritually and physically. We don't know about the, the latter, so I, I'm just saying potentially. They unchain a woman, and what do they end up happening? What happens to them? They get chained. So they unchain her and then they get chained. If you set people free, Satan will try to muzzle you, put you in bondage, and lock you up. You see, because if these guys are in the streets and they're busy preaching and people's lives are changing and my grip on them is being broken, let's put them in prison. Let's create an unfair trial, swoop up a whole crowd against them, work in the rulers, because that's what Paul says, where the enemy is, and let's put them in chains, in stocks, lock them up. Then the message can't go. The message can't go forward. Satan will do everything he can to keep us off the streets and out of the homes of unbelievers. He will do everything to keep us away from making an impact in the lives of the lost. And sometimes, he will persuade us to do so for noble reasons. We'll think it's noble. It's a good idea to not reach the lost. I had a, a, a gentleman this week debate with me for probably something like six hours. Like messaging back and forth and emails. and About every possible thing that you can think about theologically. Stuff that 90% of Christians never even think about. Stuff that people have debated from Augustine till today, and people are still just as divided about it as ever. Deep theological doctrine. And then it reached a point where I was like, okay, I messaged you, I said, so he's saying, can you give me a scripture for this, 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 and your position on this? I said, okay, let me, before we go on with this, let me just ask the question. What would you like to achieve? What's the goal here? You see, because I have lessons to finish for the youth rally. I have three young people that I study with. 
and I want to connect with them and spend some time with them because I want them to know Christ and I want them to be disciples. And that's really where I want to invest my time and my energy. Let me ask the question, this discussion that we're having, how is this going to benefit making disciples? How's this going to line up with the great commission of reaching the lost? You see, because sometimes in, in Christian circles, we can get so caught up in all the lofty theological concepts and doctrines and ideas that people have not been figuring out for 2,000 years in any ways because it's in God's domain. And we're all playing around in stuff that's beyond the Scriptures, beyond that we can understand. What, what's the goal here? And then I realized I was slowly being trapped into taking focus of what really matters. And I said to him, well, he said to me, yeah, but it's part. You know, when you teach people to obey, I said, no, I've, I've made disciples for the last 20 years. I've never had to talk to anybody about this in order to help them to follow Christ. Our goal as Christians is not to be theologically, doctrinally superior in terms of the things that we cannot even try to understand. Our goal is what? To be like Jesus. To be able to face our struggle. To be able to stand up in the presence of trials. To be able to be like Jesus and obey Him. That's the Great Commission. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It doesn't say teach them to understand all the lofty and inexplicable things about me. There's just certain things we won't be able to understand. But you see how such a noble thing, well, this is theology. Ladies and gentlemen, theology is not going to get anybody into heaven. What the world needs is not more people talking about lofty ideas. What the world needs is more people who actually do what Jesus asked us to do. So I've, I've been tempted in this way. I, I had it this week. I thought about just using that as an example. So essentially what I see here is Satan sometimes would say to us, listen, do whatever, play church, do whatever, okay? As long as the message doesn't leave the church building. How he loves that. And he fools us with that. And well, let's just focus on one another. Don't let the message leave the building. Then he's happy. That's why he puts them in prison. Satan wants to contain the gospel. God wants to spread the gospel. So he tries to contain it. All right? Now, what happens next? Let's see if he can contain it. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. The most incredible, I wish I could just be there. Right? Would you want to be there? One of those moments you want to, in, in the Bible, you just want to be there. Most incredible. They are singing and they are praying. Do you know any other scripture where these two words are mentioned together? I'll give it to you. James 5.13. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So based on this verse, what do you think Paul and them were thinking? The apostles were chained physically, but their praise tells us that they were not chained spiritually. Once again, chains come into play. They were in trouble, but they were happy. They had joy. In actual fact, which book in the Bible talks about joy the most? Philippians. The book that Paul wrote to this church later on. He wrote to the church that probably met in Lydia's house, and he titles the whole book. Rejoice. It's the main word that pops up all over. Joy is this. Happiness, 
regardless of circumstances. Even though I'm in prison, I'm going to be happy. That's joy that he demonstrates here for us. Thank you, Paul, for that. So Satan can chain you with chains. He can chain you with disease, with bad relationships, with financial difficulty, but he cannot chain your spirit. They unchain the slave girl, and they end up being chained like criminals, but prove that they are not chained in heart. And you know what else? Paul wrote to Timothy sometime later. He said in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9, I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. And these guys are singing, and who's listening? The other prisoners, the jailer is actually not listening. We're going to talk about that now. But the other prisoners were listening. They are preaching the gospel through song. And Satan's like, I think Satan had a scheme to remove Paul and Silas from the mission field. But God is always one step ahead. God was using Satan to get Paul and Silas into a mission field. The prison in Philippi. What God can do in prison is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Let's read the final verses. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. What was he busy doing while they were singing and praying? And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. God responds to prayer and praise here. He sends an earthquake. He breaks chains. He flings open prison gates. The mob does violence against God's people. Okay? God <laughs> brings violence against the enemies of God's people. He breaks open the Roman stronghold. You will see this next week. None of these prisoners escaped. When your chains fall off, wouldn't you like run for it as quickly as possible? I think they were just like, it's like, I couldn't believe what had just happened. So they just stayed. They were not as concerned with an escape. They wanted to know who Paul's God was. I don't think those guys ever forgot the singing of Paul and Silas. I would never either. It's interesting when you read through the text. And go back home and read through it. Chained, unchained. Chained, unchained. Right through the text. But those who were awake during the singing and the praying, they were set free. Those who stay awake, those who pray and sing, listen carefully, those who pray and sing through their trials will be set free. Because you're proving your faith and you're keeping your joy regardless of how difficult it is. Paul and Silas, thank you. But those who were sleeping during the praying and the praise, were bound with fear. The jailer wanted to kill himself, as you'll see next week. He wanted to take his own life. Next week, we'll take it further. 